We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. Hey, we're continuing in Jonah. We're halfway through, so we're in Jonah chapter 3 this morning, so go ahead and start turning there. There are some Bibles at each of these little tables surrounding you. There's a couple at that back connect table. There's also an app on your phone, most likely, or you can Google up the, the chapter, Jonah chapter 3, which might be easier for you to catch it because Jonah is like two pages in most Bibles. It's four chapters, usually done in like two pages, so if you're flipping through, you might miss it. And while you're turning there, uh, I do have a video that we're going to show this morning. So I'm going to talk a little bit while Patrick gets that queued up, because with the whole Zoom thing, it takes a little work to get it queued up. But I want to let you know why we're going to watch this video. So it was really kind of the perfect storm. First of all, I know that all of your least favorite parts of me getting up here is doing a recap of what I said last week, right? So in order to spare you from that, I was thinking, how can we do this in a, in a better way, in a more unique way to get our attention a little better? Also, it was fall break for my kids. So they had gone back to school in person for one whole week. It was a glorious week. And then they came back, and they were with me for one week, and that was an awesome week too. I had fun with them. And I thought, what can I do with my boys to engage them and to have some fun with them while they're home? Uh, and so they helped me put a video together. And then also part of that perfect storm is we happen to have a green screen in our room. And I have a son named Jonas. And so he got to play the part of Jonah in this. So in order to help us remember what's happened so far in the book of Jonah, let's watch this video. All right. That was previously on Jonah. Good job, guys. And if we were to stop it there, it would be very similar to like the VeggieTales version of Jonah that many of us grew up on, right? Uh, if, in fact, maybe if we go a little further, today in chapter three is where most stories stop. And most often this is told as a children's story, which was fitting for me to have my kids help me out with it. Uh, but usually it stops at the end of chapter three. And spoiler alert, what we're gonna see today is Jonah goes to Nineveh. The word of God comes to him a second time and this time he does it. Uh, and so then you end with chapter three and you think, Everything worked out, like happy ending. Jonah finally did what he was supposed to do, and now he's a hero, right? But guess what? There's a fourth chapter. And so next week, we're gonna find that that's not actually the story. That's not how it goes. That's not how it ends. But I think if we would even look at chapter three this morning with some fresh eyes and really listen to what the word is teaching us, we'll see that that's even true in chapter three, that even though Jonah goes and does what he's told to do, He's still not the hero of the story, all right? So let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to really listen to your word this morning. Open our hearts, our minds, our ears. May we hear you. May we listen to you. May we respond to you. God, that you would actually do some transformative work in each of us this morning, that we would all be turning our hearts toward you and turning our lives in the power of your spirit to look more and more like your perfect son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen. All right, so let's read Jonah chapter three. Did you guys all find it? Did you get there? It gave you ample time. I know there was a distracting video, but hopefully we're there now. So Jonah chapter three, and it's just 10 verses, once again, like last week. And so I'm gonna read it all together and then we'll dive in. 
keep saying that. It really is not pun intended. All right, here we go. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. When word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh. By order of the king and his nobles, no person or animal, herd or flock is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from disaster that he had threatened them with, and he did not do it. This is God's word. So what we find in the book of Jonah is a ton of really beautiful literary work. So we have in chapters one and two, are reflecting and foreshadowing the same patterns we're gonna get in chapters three and four. So chapter three kind of mimics chapter one, where God comes to Nineveh and he says, I want you to, or God comes to Jonah and says, I want you to go to Nineveh, right? And then you get Jonah's response. Now there's a difference though, right off the bat that we see here. So we read, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. This time Jonah got up, so far it's exactly the same. Jonah got up last time, but what did he do last time? He ran the opposite direction, right? The complete opposite direction. He was supposed to go east, he headed west. He was supposed to go what is modern day Iraq right now in Nineveh, and instead he goes to what's modern day Spain, to this place called Tarshish. So he, he completely disobeys God. And what's interesting is, and in flying through this book, doing a whole chapter each week, we don't get to dive into all the, the nitty gritty expository details. Don't worry, kids, it's a big word. You don't need to know what it is. We don't get, have to, the time to do that every week. And so one thing that I left out is the way that the names are used in this book is a beautiful just insight into what the story really is. Jonah means dove or messenger of peace. And it says in chapter one, he's Jonah, son of Amittai, which means faithful to God. Who's the one person in this story who is the least faithful to God? Jonah, right? Completely disobeying him, running away from him, angry at him. Would rather die than do the thing that God tells him to do. So the most faithless person to God is a prophet of God who is the son of a guy called faithful to God. And the guy with the name messenger of peace has no peace within himself throughout this whole story. He's, he's anxious and he runs away from God. He doesn't want to do the thing God wants him to do. He's on the run. And then a storm comes and the chaotic seas. And then he asks to get thrown into it so he would die. And then a giant fish comes and swallows him up. He has no peace within himself. 
And so this, it's this play on words that the author is trying to help us see, this is what Israel is supposed to be. This is what God has called Israel to be. And yet they are not living up to their name. It's not just Jonah. Jonah is actually just a picture of the rest of God's people at this time. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, he's a picture of us too. And so now we get to chapter three and you hear, okay, God's word comes to him again. What's gonna happen this time? And suddenly he flips the script. And you go, oh man, maybe he had true repentance. Like this is good news. Like something's gonna change this time, right? And so he goes to that great city of Nineveh. Now, did, how much did we actually talk about Nineveh last time? Do you guys know what capital the city of Nineveh is? What, what people it belongs to? Anyone know? You can say it louder if you know it. You're whispering. Yeah, Assyria. Assyria, who was an enemy of Israel, right? Assyria, who ends up capturing Israel and does some terrible, terrible things to them. And Nineveh is the capital city of the Assyrians. In fact, one of my favorite life verses, I think was inspired by the Assyrians. It's in, it's in one of our Psalms here. I think it's 139. We have a, a slide for it. This is like my favorite verse ever. I have it cross-stitched and hanging above my mantle. And it says this, happy is he who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rocks. Does that make it into any of your morning devotionals? No, no bumper stickers like that? That sounds harsh. This is, this is a, a Hebrew writer saying that, right? But it's in response to what both the Assyrians and the Babylonians had been doing to them. So when they would come in, they would just go in and slaughter all the week. And literally, they would dash the infants against the rocks. That meant they would throw them over a rocky cliff in the waters. And so this response is, God, this is crazy. Would you stop this violence against us? In fact, would you do it back to them? A vengeful heart coming out. This is, the Bible is real, you guys. It's raw. It's not just Every verse is like, oh, this is what we're supposed to try to. It tells us the dirty, nitty-gritty of humans' hearts. This is a true response from the heart to go, God, crush our enemies because look at what they're doing to us. Return it back to them and do it even worse. And so all of Israel felt this way about Nineveh. The word of God comes to Jonah. And he goes, nope, I'm not gonna go speak a word to them that first time. And he's a reflection to what all of Israel probably felt like. So God went to great lengths to get his attention, sending a storm, sending a fish to swallow him up, great lengths, commanding the, the elements and animals and creatures to get a hold of Jonah. And even in the midst of Jonah's disobedience, God used that to actually draw in these pagan sailors that were on the boat with him, to draw them to come to him, to sacrifice to him, to trust in him above all other gods. So even in Jonah's defiance, God's still good and at work. And he finally gets Jonah's attention, and this time he goes, all right, fine, I will go. What does he do when he gets there? We're told in this that Nineveh is actually a three-day walk, right? This is in verse three. Extremely great city, a three-day walk. That means not a three-day walk to get through it. It means once you enter the gates, it's a three-day walk to get to the center where the king is where the palace is. And what happens? Verse three. So it's a three-day walk, and on his first day of his walk in the city, he proclaimed. So this doesn't mean 
we're not told like on his first day, he starts speaking good news and then he keeps going all the way through the city. The word eventually reaches the king by way of other people in the city, but it's not from Jonah. Jonah goes in and he says five Hebrew words. I think it's about eight words in our English. Jonah goes in on day one, and this is what he does. He grabs a soapbox, gets up on it with his bullhorn, and he becomes full on Jonah the street preacher. You guys know what I'm talking about? Street preacher. Have you ever driven by? I get this a lot on, uh, it's on Peoria. I think, no, it's Cactus, right by the QT as I'm getting off the freeway. And there's always a dude out there with a little like speaker and he's got a bullhorn plugged into it. And he's got a sign that's like strapped to his back there. That's basically telling everyone you're all doomed and going to hell unless you repent, right? So it's usually doom and gloom. A few years back, I was traveling, speaking at schools with a friend of mine and we had a school in Shreveport, Louisiana. And on our way through, we were trying to figure out where we were gonna stay that night because it had been late. We had been driving for like 14 hours. And so we started price lining on our phone to find a hotel to stay in. And we happened to get this hotel, a pretty nice hotel on Bourbon Street in the French Quarter of New Orleans. And we were like, this is awesome. So we get there and we check in and we're like, let's go see this town. You know, we go around and we start checking out places. We eat some bananas. Those are delicious, by the way. We get some gumbo. Basically all we did was eat. But we walked around so we felt like we were working it off, you know, and we're seeing the sights and it's so much atmosphere. There's some like jazz street musicians out there. It was really cool. And then all of a sudden it was like, as soon as like the sun started to fade down a little bit, like the floodgates opened and everyone started coming out of the woodworks. There was a parade. There is like a, a wedding that was doing a second parade for their wedding. A bunch of marching bands came out. A bunch of people trying to solicit us, drugs and other illegal activity with women. Uh, there was just, all of a sudden it was like shoulder to shoulder. You could not really budge through there. You just had to go with the crowd. And we're like, this is crazy. Well, we had forgotten it was Halloween the night that we were staying there. So probably the second uh, most crazy night to be there, the first one being Mardi Gras, we were there on Halloween. And so we're like, this is pretty intense. This is crazy. Let's try to get back to our room and just like lock ourselves in for the night, right? And while we're trying to work our way through, then we see this giant wooden red cross marching down the street and uh, like five guys who are out there with their bullhorn and they're just preaching at people. And what are they saying? This is debauchery. You are all godless. God will crush you. And we're looking at each other like, whoa, this is nuts. Like, what do we do in this situation? They were preaching and they were trying to preach a part of a message of God. But was it good news? Listen to the words of Jonah. This is what he says. Verse four, Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. And he gets off of his soapbox and puts his bullhorn away. That's it. What is his message missing? Repent and what? And you'll be saved. Repent and you'll be saved. Yeah, turn away from what you're doing and you could be saved, Right? That would sound like good news. That's part of it. What else is it missing? There's no mention of God in that, is there? 
This is almost as if Jonah does the bare minimum required. All right, God, get me out of this fish. I'll do what you ask me to do. Do you guys, like those of you who have kids, you know what I'm talking about when you're like, hey, I want you to go take out the trash before you start playing video games, right? Or I want you to go clean your room before you start playing video games. And they do the least amount possible to make you think that they listen to you so they can get over to play their video games real quick. No, is that just my kids? My kids don't actually do that. I'm just assuming some of your other kids do. Doing the the least amount possible just to get by and go, I did it. I did it. Don't send any more fish to swallow me up, right? No more whoopings. I did it. Jonah goes right in. He doesn't travel all the way to the city center. He says five words in Hebrew. You're going to be destroyed. And he drops the mic. I, I did what you asked me to do, God. Now we saw last week that Jonah had this prayer of repentance. It seemed genuine, right? And we talked about this, like you and I do this too. We will repent in moments and we'll go, God, I am so sorry. I can't believe I had done that again. Lord, please help me. I will do whatever you ask me to do. And what is it? Like a week later, day later, five minutes later, if you're me, we're acting a fool again, right? So Jonah does the least amount possible. He does not want Nineveh to hear this message. And yet, just like God still used Jonah and did his good work, even his disobedience on the boat and saved those sailors, God shows up here in Nineveh too. Jonah doesn't even mention the name of God, but the Ninevites do. That's interesting. How do they know, right? In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished, verse five. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. Not that they believed Jonah in his message, not that they listened to him, not that they got angry. This is what I would think would happen, right? That they would get angry and go, we're dashing your infants against some rocks right now. The, the Syrians, this is what they would do is they would flay people. You know what that means? Have you ever flayed a fish before? It's exactly what it sounds like. And so they would strip their skin off and they would hang them along their city gates. So anybody else who came by would know, don't mess with the Assyrians. Don't mess with Nineveh. They would walk around after battles with body parts from their enemies as trophies. So I'm imagining, like if I'm Jonah, I go in, like think about the boldness. Remember though, he wanted to get thrown in the sea. He wanted to die rather than do what God wanted to do. And so it's like he goes in on this kamikaze mission. You guys are all gonna be demolished. Almost waiting for like, what are you gonna do now? And I'm picturing like, if that's me, they're turning on me quick. I'm ready for the attack. I'm bracing for it. And Jonah doesn't get what he wants in that moment. They don't do that. They believe God in that moment. God's word still does what he desires it to do, even when we try to get in the way of it. So they believe God and they start doing these weird things like fasting and putting on sackcloth and sitting in ashes. And then suddenly the word gets to the king, like, hey, you got to hear this. Everybody's freaking out. And all of a sudden, like, they're not eating and drinking like they would before, like, you know, gluttons do. They're not going around violently attacking people like Assyrians do. They're not partying like 
They're not even doing their work. People are mourning. That's what that picture was. And what does the king do? He does the same thing. So he commands people. (laughs) This is funny. Not just people. Your animals too. Tell your animals to fast. What? Tell your animals to wear sackcloth. Huh? Tell your animals to sit in ashes with us. It sounds so weird. Again, this is in the the literary genre. The writing style of this is almost like satire where people would be like, that's ridiculous and laughing. But this is picture of Nineveh and the king of Nineveh recognizing we have all blown it. We're, We're left to total destruction because of the way that we have lived, because of the way we have treated other people. So all of Nineveh needs to turn. All of Nineveh needs to repent. All of Nineveh needs to confess and be sorry and come before this God of Israel, this God of Jonah, and submit to him. It's the exact opposite of Jonah's response. Nineveh is in complete submission right now. And they're the ones who are like the worst of the worst. And Jonah, who's supposed to be a man after God's heart, supposed to be a prophet speaking God's word, has hardened his heart to what God wants. And so this is what they do. The king says, by order of the king and his nobles, no person or animal, herd or flock is to taste anything at all. So don't eat. They must not eat or drink water. So you're fasting. And what would happen in in these times, and maybe some of you are familiar with fasting, maybe some of you do it for health reasons or because you're trying to lose weight. Maybe some of us are doing it because of spiritual reasons, but maybe we've never actually fully understood what that means because we just are around the church a lot and that's some weird thing the church does, so we do it, right? Maybe we want God to bless us more if we do it. What fasting typically was during this day and age was it was a recognizing, I am not in control. It's a recognizing I can't feed myself. I can't nourish myself. It's entering into this process of hungering, feeling hunger pangs in your belly to remind you that the world's not the way it should be and I'm part of the problem and I can do nothing to fix it. And it's recognizing that the God who causes your crops to grow, who provides streams of water for you, that he is the only one who can nourish and feed you. This is a posture of humility. And then what do they do? He says, furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth. If you know what sackcloth is, uh, picture like burlap bags. And so we get a bunch of our green coffee in these giant burlap bags. And sometimes I have to call Anthony to come and lift them for me from his CrossFit because they're super heavy. But every time I pick one of those up, I get like stuff all over my arms and it's super itchy. I hate it. It's the worst feeling in the world. It's almost as bad as nails on a chalkboard. Like it just makes my skin crawl. And so when I grab that bag, it just starts itching everywhere immediately. And a lot of the burlap, it clings to my skin when I set it down. It stays there and it just keeps itching all day long until I go shower. And so that's kind of what the sackcloth is. Wear the most uncomfortable thing possible. Take off your nice clothes. Wear the most uncomfortable thing possible. Take off your clothes that show your dignity and your wealth and your prosperity and how awesome you are. And wear the worst, most uncomfortable, ugliest thing possible. 
Again, this posture of humility to remind yourself, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. I'm part of the problem. Lord, help me. And that's the turn. That's that turn and repent we keep talking about. That's the part that was missing from Jonah's message. Repent and you will be saved, like Jonah's pointed out for us. Turn. I've been living in this way and it's doing nothing but damage and bringing nothing but destruction in God's world. I will now turn away from that. The Hebrew word for this is called shuv. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right, but that's what it looks like. To shuv, to turn from something. It literally just means you're going on a journey and someone tells you, hey, that's the wrong way. Oh, shuv. And you turn. Thanks for getting that, Carolyn. And you just turn, that's all that means. So like, there's been times like we're getting out of the car or we're getting out of a restaurant, we're trying to find our car and like one of my kids wanders off and I'm like, hey, it's this way. And they just, they turn around, they come back. That's all that word means. And this, this is what's happening here. Spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, in every essence of the being of a human, Nineveh is going, we have been going this way and it only leads to destruction. Ashub, let's turn. Let's face this way. Let's look toward God. So that's what they start doing here. Here's the question for us. We've been relating ourselves to Jonah a lot. Like, oh man, we aren't doing the thing God has called us to do, right? Can we relate ourselves to the Ninevites? I can, if I'm being brutally honest, I'm a lot more like the Ninevites in chapter one than I am to the Ninevites in chapter three. No, I'm not dashing any infants against rocks. I'm not flaying anyone. I'm not doing any of that. But you know, like inside my heart, even when someone just cuts me off on the road, what I want to happen to them, you know, when someone does something that messes with me feeling in control of my life, you know what I want to have happen to them inside my heart? I would tell you, but there's kids here. I have that same ugliness inside of me. You? I'm just talking about people that cut me off on the road. What about the person who has abused me? Mentally, emotionally. What about the person who was never there for me? What about my worst enemy? I'd like to think I don't have any, but you know, in my heart, in my heart, there. And I have that same anger and that same violence and that same rage in there. And when we get to this and we see that even the Assyrians, the Ninevites, the worst of the worst, the most violent could turn away from that. God, help me to do the same. When Jesus mentions Jonah in the New Testament, we talked about this. We, we read when Jesus says, hey, you're all looking for signs and wonders and only wicked people look for that. I will only give you the sign of Jonah that in three days in Sheol, then I will rise again. And you know what he says after that? He says, I tell you the truth that the day of judgment, the Ninevites will be there and they will look more innocent and righteous than you. And he's talking to the religious leaders. Why? Because it doesn't matter how bad they were, they turned. 
Now, we know history is that Assyria continued to do some pretty awful things even after this point, right? And that history shows that God ended up taking over the Assyrians. He ended up doing away with their violent empire after all. I don't know what happened between these points. I don't know if there was a new king that rose up and he was more wicked than this one. I don't know if this king ended up later repenting of his repentance because that's what Jonah's done, right? God, I'm sorry, I repent. I will do what you asked me to do. Ha, just kidding. That's what we do. God, I'm sorry. Yeah, but... So I don't know if that's what happened. This repentance of repentance. We gotta keep dialing it back in, keep reeling it back in, keep turning again. It's a daily battle every single day. Every single day going, uh, I've, I've gotten off course again. Lord, help me. And guess what? God is faithful to help us. He sends this guy, Jonah, for two reasons. One, he cares enough about Nineveh to send someone over there and tell them his word. And two, he cares enough about Jonah to take him through this wild ride in the sea and in the fish because he is relentlessly pursuing both of them. And I believe he's relentlessly pursuing each of us here in this room too. The question is, are you going to be like the Ninevites and turn toward him? Or are you going to keep doing what Jonah does? I'll turn and look back for a second and give you some lip service and I'm going to keep going my way. So Jonah goes and he, he gives no good news. He does the bare minimum. God still shows up. And the, the most vile, violent, worst king of any nation turns toward God. And this is what it says. Listen to this. This is interesting. When the word, this is verse six, when word reached the king and he got up from his throne, he took off his royal robe. This is important. Let's not miss this. What is he doing in that statement? Like literally, if I were to get up off of this stage and just leave right now, what I'm saying is like, I, I'm not gonna sit here and do this job. Like I, this isn't what I do. Like if I just like dropped the mic in the mid-sentence and left, you know, like you'd think something's weird with Chris, but that, that would look like, okay, well, he doesn't wanna do this anymore. Like he, he doesn't wanna preach, okay. What he's saying is I'm not the king. I can't sit on this throne right now because there's only room on this throne for one and it apparently is not me. The other day, Friday, I took my kids to the dentist and we were there for like two and a half hours. Like the dentist is already bad enough, but then they had to sit in a waiting, a tiny waiting room for hours and it was boring uh, and there weren't enough seats. And so I had, Liam came and he sat on my lap and I loved it because they're starting to get too big for this, right? But I just love like my little kids coming sit in my lap. But I gotta be honest, like a couple of hours of that, it was getting pretty uncomfortable. It wasn't a big chair. There wasn't a ton of room in that seat. Now God's a God who wants us to come and climb up in his lap, right? On the throne, he's that kind of good king. But if I were having my son come sit in my lap when we drove home in the car, that wouldn't work quite as well, would it? I'm not trying to give parenting advice, but if that's something you do, maybe rethink it. I don't know, like, because if my eight-year-old's sitting in my lap while you're driving, or, or if you have a younger kid sitting in your lap while you're driving, 
One, it's not comfortable. Two, the seatbelt's not gonna fit everyone. Three, what are they gonna do? They're gonna wanna grab the steering wheel. They're gonna wanna push stuff, right? It's dangerous. It's not safe for anybody. One person should be in that seat. And it's the person who knows what they're doing. And the king of Nineveh is going, I don't belong on this throne. Somebody else needs to sit here. Listen to what Jesus does. We have a verse from John and then one from Mark I want to share with us. Hundreds and hundreds of years later, this guy Jesus shows up on the scene. And this is what he says. Jonah came to preach the word God gave him, but he preached a small sliver of it. He wouldn't preach the full message. Jesus says, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jonah's still trying to sabotage what God's work is. And Jesus is saying, I am in full submission to what God's work. Jesus is a better Jonah. And in fact, in this story, he's more like the person who resembles Jesus more, the king of Nineveh. In Mark 1, verses 14 and 15, it says this. After John was arrested, this is John, the guy who was going out baptizing people, telling people Jesus was coming. After he was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the what? Good news. Not the you're gonna die news, right? Good news of God. And this is what he says. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Why? Because the king was there. The kingdom of God has come near and he says, repent and believe the good news. Turn, believe good news. Jesus preaches the fuller message that Jonah didn't preach, but he also is the truer and better king. So like the king of Nineveh, he gets down off his throne. Jesus though belonged on the throne. And what does he do? He comes down off of his throne from heaven. He steps down away from it. He comes down to this dirty, broken, violent world. Like you think Nineveh's bad? Nineveh's all over this world. And Jesus goes to it. And he doesn't go preaching violence and destruction. Guess what? That part's, it's part of it. And he does get there. But you know what he does in Luke 4? Is he starts reading a scroll from Isaiah that talks about the messenger of God coming and releasing the captives and bringing sight to the blind and freeing people. And then he leaves off the part from Isaiah that says, and the wrath of God. Why does Jesus do that? Yeah, that's right. What's the focus, right? We just read the time for what is fulfilled. The time for the kingdom of God to come to bring good news. There's timing. Jesus is all about timing. And so, yes, there will be wrath and destruction for the one who continues to not turn toward God. The one who continues to look back, pay some lip service and keep going their own way. That will come. What Jonah said was true. If they did not repent, God was going to destroy Nineveh. But Jesus came to bring the good news part of the message. Turn and believe good news. The kingdom of God is here. Life and fullness is here. I have come to set the captives free. I have come to help the blind see. I have come to feed the hungry. I have come to clothe the poor. I have come to provide for those who cannot provide for themselves. That's what Jesus is all about. 
And so he comes and he says, please turn away from what you're chasing after and come toward the kingdom. Believe this good news. The king is so good that even though he's the only one belonging on the throne, he comes off the throne. He takes off his royal robe. He's covered in shame and nakedness while he hangs on the cross. You think burlap or sackcloth is uncomfortable? What about splinters driving into you and nails driving through your skin and a crown of thorns on your head? And Jesus puts that on and he goes into the grave on our behalf. And three days later, he rises again. And just like we see hope, second chance for Nineveh, Jesus rising from that tomb in newness of life with the power of the spirit of God fully within him because he is one with God and then releasing his spirit to come upon those who would turn and trust in him. We now have this offer of new life but it follows repentance. It's this recognition, I need a better king. I don't belong on this throne. And I can't keep trying to sit here with him. Like I can't try to be king with God. I don't fit there. I need to step off of it. I need to take off these royal robes and I need to know my place. And listen, when you do that, there's freedom. I know it sounds hard, we talk about like submission, like that doesn't sound fun, right? Like the cry of our whole culture is this humanistic view that I'm in control. So it's not fun, it's not pleasant. But do you know what kind of freedom happens? What kind of freedom comes and fills your heart when you don't have to be in control? Thank God I don't have to have answers to COVID, to economic crisis, to politics, to any of that. Because guess what? There's a king on the throne who's in control of all of it. And one day, destruction will come to what is rotten and evil and wicked and bad in this world. That's the kind of destruction and wrath we talk about with God. In order to to bring flourishing and life and fullness, what does he have to do? He has to expel what is bringing damage and destruction. That's coming but he is so patiently waiting, just like he was with Jonah, just like he was with Nineveh, and just like he is with me and you, patiently waiting for us to turn instead to come to him so that we can have a full, abundant, eternal life with the true king. That's the good news. Thank God, somehow, Nineveh heard that through the static of Jonah's preaching. But man, wouldn't it have been so much simpler if Jonah did the thing God asked him to do in the first place? So you guys, what are the things we're running from and what thrones are we trying to sit on right now? What's the area of control you're trying to keep in your life and you don't want God to come and have part of that? And I would just encourage us, I'm gonna give us a moment to just silently reflect on that and let's pray and let's be honest and let's listen to the spirit speaking to us. God, what are the areas where I'm trying to be king and sit on my throne and I need to scoot over, I need to make room for you because you are the only one who belongs there. And would you do that, please? When that happens, God, fill my heart with good news of your kingdom, that there's life and abundant life in you. There's joy to be found in you being my king. And when I have that, 
man, I have joy. I want to go and share that with other people. Jonah did not have that. He was still trying to be king, so he didn't have the joy of being in God's kingdom. And what did that cause? He hated people. He didn't want them to have good news. Maybe that's the reason why we aren't talking about Jesus as much in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, even in our own household. Maybe because we're trying to be king still and we're reflecting on all the areas where it's going wrong and how do I fix that? But man, when we relinquish that throne to Jesus and we start finding joy and being filled with that, we're gonna want the world to know about it. So let's take a moment to just silently reflect. God, what areas are we trying to remain on the throne and keep you off of it? God, once again, we thank you that this story does not end here. And we thank you that one day the true rightful king will sit on the throne, the king over all creation, who rules with justice and righteousness and goodness. Jesus, you will make all things right one day. We pray, Lord, that we would be part of that, that we would be made right, not just continuing on to our own destruction. We know that only you can do that by the power of your spirit. So God, would you do that? Would you do that for each and every single one of us in the room this morning? Continue to draw us closer toward you, to turn our hearts and affections toward you. And God, thank you that there's freedom and joy and goodness in that. We love you. Would you help us to love you more? In Jesus' name, amen.